Welcome back to the Rooksell Podcast. And today's episode is all about nutrition. But before we get into the episode, I just wanted to announce the launch of the YouTube channel for Rooks Health, which will have our podcast episodes, but also I'll be providing videos on holistic health using the five pillars of health. If you're curious as to what those are, you can check out the video, which should be up at this time. Whenever you're listening to it, just make sure to check out the YouTube channel. And we're doing a lot of different videos all about health and wellness and as well as healthy lifestyle choices and changes as well. So make sure to check that out. But without wasting any more time, let's hop into the podcast episode for the day. Today's episode is with Justin, who is a nutritionist, personal trainer, and a Nike running coach. And he gives us some really good insights about diets, tells us the truth about what you should know about all the diets you hop into, and also how to have a better relationship with your food which is a very important thing. But without wasting any more time, I think I've taken enough of your time introducing the YouTube channel. Let's hop straight into the episode with Justin. So, welcome Justin to the Rooksell podcast. Yeah, my name's Justin Reed Sims. I'm a Nike running coach, personal trainer, and performance nutritionist. Uh, currently studying at the Institute of Performance Nutrition, so trying to level up my knowledge, as uh, we all should be doing all the time. Everything's changing, so uh, deep in the books in. and excited to get into this. Great, great. So I know we we're talking before, but let's let's jump straight into it with the questions asking of. Um, when someone is trying to lose weight particularly or trying to diet basically let's talk about diets a bit because i know that's one people are there's so many diets a rise of diets there's this paleo there's keto there's I've, i've seen carnivores have you seen carnivores diets i've seen the carnivores diet yeah i think um i think weight loss is is a great place to start and particularly um, when we're looking at at the health of the nation, and that's what we're trying to get into right now with uh, with government policy. Overall, the kind of the real game changer, or sorry, the real hard and fast rule that doesn't change is that weight loss is or comes about because of energy balance. If you're yeah. in a calorie deficit, you're going to be losing weight. What we see often is people like to attach an identity to their to the way they eat. So they can identify as the I'm the paleo guy, I'm the keto guy, I'm the vegan. And full disclosure, I've done keto. I've been vegan. I was vegan for four and a half years. I'm and actually at the beginning, yes, I was yeah, vegan, plant-based. And actually at the beginning of lockdown, I've just reintroduced eggs and fish back into my diet. And and it's what works for me. And I think the idea that people will always preach what's worked for them. Yeah, and often that's at the detriment of any other evidence out there that suggests there are other ways up the mountain. And we know that there are many ways up the mountain in terms of finding what works for you as in terms of creating a calorie deficit. So the, the key thing here is that calorie deficit 
if you're looking to lose weight, there's yeah. some some kind of tips that you can use mm -hmm. is protein is a really satiating macronutrient. So protein tends to fill you up more. Yeah, so trying to get in regular protein feedings are really important. 20 to 30 grams at each each meal, if you're having three meals a day, that can be a really effective way of helping yourself fill up. And a great tip if you're if you're going out for dinner or worried about overeating on a social event, for example, more you can have a protein shake before you go and have an hour before you go. You could have a protein shake and it stops those cravings are often driven by the fact that we restrict ourselves and often we feel like we're restricting ourselves. So we put ourselves in a position where we feel like we can't eat a certain food group. And that's why these diets have such strength and, and power in our communities. It's because if I'm a vegan, I can't eat dairy. I'm restricting myself from dairy. I'm restricting myself from animal products. If I'm keto then carbs are off the table and that takes out a huge you know group of foods that's saying no more donuts no more cakes ultimately finding something that works for you to create a calorie deficit is is something that might take some experimentation but it's the most important thing and that doesn't have to be what you do forever that is the thing that gets you to where you want to be focusing on hopefully eating a myriad of foods, a real rainbow of foods so that you can look after your macronutrients and your micronutrients. Right. And then I think the real skill is finding a way to maintain your weight because often we find that we duck down and then we go straight back up back and, and maintenance is, is the skill people look at the scales or they look at, themselves in the mirror and they say i'm not losing weight but if you're not putting on weight you might have just cracked something that's really challenging for a lot, a lot of, people, of people and that's yeah. maintaining your weight at a fixed point so calorie deficit is unfortunately the rule but the way you get to it there are a bunch of options out there and explore them it's not, it's not a straight road. And uh, for those listening, if you wonder what caloric deficit is, uh, just don't correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the way I understand it is if you're eating, let's say, 2,000 calories a day, caloric deficit is, sorry, if you are burning 2,000 calories a day you should, and you're eating 1,800 calories, is that caloric deficit? Did I get that right? Yeah, so then you're in around? a deficit of 200. Yeah. So calorie deficit is made up of your your basic metabolic rate your bmr which uh, sorry your your energy needs are your basic metabolic rate so everything you need to function. just function as a human being then there's exercise energy expenditure which is anything you burn when you're exercising and then there's neat which is something which we've seen a real drop off it's non-exercise activity thermogenesis so it's all the calories you burn when you're walking for a bus or you're climbing up the stairs and we've seen a real drop off in our neat levels because we're all been locked down for the yeah. last four months so it's why things that seem as simple as a walk or That's taking so the stairs can be really important because over a week that can make a real difference over a month over a year 
that's a huge um huge amount of calories that you can burn and you're not even trying to yeah so uh, it's a good thing you touched on that because uh, i don't even know what neat is but i know what that those little things mean so i wear a whoop strap if you this is going to go video obviously so if you can see this so whoop strap is pretty much like a fitbit but it's a bit different from a fitbit and it tracks a bit of my how many calories i run the basically how much i exercise and one thing i noticed the big thing i noticed at the start of uh, the lockdown was my average daily calorie dip uh, what's it called calories i was burning dropped so i think i was averaging normally over 2000 because i was only active you go for a walk uh walk to walk to uni walk here walk there go up the stairs but once you're indoors and i was locked indoors for a long time you, i wasn't burning as many calories as I, I noticed it dropped significantly and now that everything's lightened back up and you can move around i've seen it pick up back to where i think that was actually a significant level just that little change of not walk, not walking to the bus not taking up going up the stairs and that's why i always say like those little lifestyle changes really matter because in the long term you may think that oh yeah it's just taking the stairs you know it's just walking to the bus it was it, you're not going to burn that much but i think it really picks it really adds up if you get what i mean it really adds up and then it adds to your whole caloric uh how much you're burning how much energy you're using throughout the day and i think that's a it's a great point to say about nutrition habits generally is that little things add up we we are great at imagining that we have to make big interventions and come in and i would come into someone's life and empty their fridges <laughs> empty their cupboards and throw everything out and say this is what you eat but we're never looking for perfection there's no such thing as a perfect diet the idea is that we're trying to make progress and how can we make something that we are eating a little bit better and it's a little bit better for us it it might look different at different times in our life it might look different depending on what we're trying to do but you know changing out the pasta you use might be a good thing for you if you aren't getting enough fiber to have whole grain pasta but it might not be if you're a runner and you're worried about going out and needing to constantly if you're an athlete and you can't go for bathroom breaks probably don't want to have a really high fiber diet so it's it's got to be right for you and it doesn't have to be a big it doesn't have to be a big change. It can be small things that are personal to you that you can repeat daily and and try to be sustainable with. Yeah. And uh, now that we talk touching on that is that's one of, one of my things is it's every diet and exercising is very personal and it changes from person to person, not to repeat what you just said, but my diet will be significantly different from someone else's diet because just because we're not the same, we don't have the same lifestyle. I think one thing I, one thing I uh, found funny was in my Rook's Health uh, thing, it's health, wellness, and lifestyle. And I think some people think when I put lifestyle there, they're talking about my lifestyle. <laughs> it's actually what I mean by lifestyle is lifestyle changes. So everyone has a different lifestyle. So personalizing your experience to either exercise to food is very, is very important and not just because two people can literally eat the same. I think you correct me if I'm wrong, but two people can eat the same thing. Uh, they're trying to eat the same diet, but they will see different changes in their body. They will see one of them maybe start losing weight, another may start gaining, or another, or vice versa. And I think that's because they're just not the same people, and they're not going to after eating. They're not going to do the same thing throughout the day. And I think I can imagine there's a bit of a genetics element to uh, what's it called weight loss weight gain and that and dieting am i correct in saying that yeah there's certainly 
a a genetic element and you know there's always there's the person that that we all know that that can eat seemingly whatever they want and and will always be lean or will always have abs and the person that you know feels like they just have to look at a biscuit and they put yes. on weight yeah. and and so there is certainly there's been some great twin studies looking at the effect of genetics um and and the effects of identical twins on the same diet you know matched calorie for calorie and seeing some differences and that can be heartening in a sense to hear that that it's okay because in some respects genetically we might be predisposed to one thing or another but i think that overly focusing on on the top line you know top line uh, data that people can't easily access yeah. is a bit of a disservice so going back to it and saying actually there are loads of simple things that you can act on and right now we don't know enough about the genetic impact of food much the same as we don't know enough about the genetic impact on sports performance but right now there are some fantastic companies out there that are marketing themselves as you know we look at your dna and we tell you that you are born to be an endurance athlete or you shouldn't be eating this type no milk for you because it says in your dna analysis that you're you're lactose intolerant or not even an intolerance just that you will perform better without it and so lots of there are lots of great research projects going on but it's super early days right now yeah and so by all means take heart in the fact that you can try something that your friend's trying and it doesn't work for you because it you are different we're all individuals but it should just spur you on to try something else and to understand that unfortunately their way isn't your way and it should kind of really give you the confidence to say to people, you know what, you call yourself the paleo guy and you tell everyone to go on to paleo. Yeah. Well, I tried it and it didn't work for me. And so I don't need to be another paleo guy. I can move on and I can change and I can try something else and I can look for the for the route that best suits me to, to reach my goals. Yeah, uh, I think that's... The- we touched on that very well and although there are what's it called uh evidence everything is personalized i think if i'm wrong correct me but are there they are generic more generic things that you should like tips for pre-exercise if you're, going, if you're trying to exercise or trying to work out general tips that you should avoid or you can do while you're eating before exercise and post exercise like i know one good one is obviously the most common one is hydrate drink drink, drink water water is good for you because i think on average, we don't drink as much water as we probably should in the generic uh, in the generic sense of general population. But are there any other like tips specifically that just general tips, good tips, good habits to build before an exercise uh, and after exercise? Or because I know I spoke yeah, to Manny. Abs- so, yeah. Oh, go on. I, what, what, no, what I just said say? I spoke to Manny uh, in my first episode, and he just said after exercise, trying to get protein is a very good tip for people who run, and I think that's that can be classified generally across the board like you've worked out heavily trying to eat protein afterwards what do you think about that yeah absolutely i would um i'd say a really great starting point is make sure that you are fueled for the work that you're about to do so quite often 
we find ourselves working out in the evening. And if you've had a break at lunch, you've had your lunch at one o'clock. For me, I might be then going to do a track session at six, 6.30. So I'm going to want to get something in beforehand because I know I've got a high intensity session coming yeah. up. I'm going to work hard. So finding something that works for you, I'd say mostly carbohydrates before you're working out is a great a great fuel source, something that's easy to digest and learning the way that your body deals with taking on food. So for, for me, for example, I, I can't have big breakfasts if I'm going on a long run of, of a weekend. So I tend to either get up an hour and a half early so I can digest my food or I fuel on the go. So finding something that works for you and spending time learning your body and how it reacts to taking on food would be a great kind of first tip. So getting in carbs before you work out, very important, but work out what's right for you because some people it's a banana. I've got friends, you know, terrible friends that can eat a fry up and go out for a 16 mile run five minutes later. They can just walk straight out the door. That just wouldn't ever work for me. Uh, Manny's touched on a great thing in terms of recovery. So certainly protein after you work out, getting in a protein source, uh, also with carbohydrates. So look for like a three to one ratio. There's a bunch of good recovery shakes out there, but I find that something like chocolate milk is great. Chocolate soy milk, if you're plant-based, equally it's got some it's got some carbohydrates in it. It's got some protein in it. And thinking about where you are when you work out, I'd say it's it's less of a nutrition tip directly. But yeah. if you're, for me, if I'm going to track mafia and doing a workout over in West London, it's an hour back for me. Yeah. So I'm not going to eat a meal for an hour at least. So I want to put something in. So I want yeah. to have that chocolate milk, get some refueling done. And so pre-planning ahead of if I'm going to a race, what I'm going to have after a race of a weekend, if I'm doing cross country, I'm probably not going to want to go and eat at one of the stands that are at the end of the races. So have I got a banana packed with me and some chocolate milk? Because it's going to be giving my body a little bit of replenishment for all the energy that is just burned. Um, those are, those are kind of be my, my kind of top three in terms of, of what works across the board for people. But again, it requires a little bit of experimentation. Yeah. Tweaking here and there and, uh, adapt and figuring out what, what goes through your body. And again, everyone, everyone is different. That's a very good one, but there's some things you can all do across the board, but I think it takes, as you're right, it takes some time and experimentation. It's not, the first time you try this, the first time you try this, your body might be like, oh, what's happening here? Same thing with muscle. If you start um, exercising, you start lifting weights and you never lift the weights before. I think I'll give a good example. When I went to, uh, I think not long ago, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, after not going to the gym for like, since lockdown, I found a bar and I was doing pull-ups. And the next day, I couldn't raise my arm like past, <laughs> I couldn't raise my, my arm past anywhere and I was like, what's happening? But that's because my body's not, it's gotten out of it. But now it's pretty much gotten back in sync. But not to get, go away too off topic, there was one thing you said and I wanted to uh, touch on that was carbohydrates. You know, 
there are a lot of in, in nutrition, I think, me from an avid observer, or I know there are certain things that are heavily demonized when you're talking about food. Sugar is one. Uh, sugar is one that people always like avoid sugar, sugar. Because I think I agree. I think about, across the board, a lot of our foods have a lot of sugar in them, the average diet. But carbohydrates is one that's been recently uh, for a while now. It's not nutrition that been demonized as people avoiding cutting carbohydrates completely out of the diet. I personally, I don't, I don't think excluding one whole food group is the way to go. I think proportions and uh, rationing it out is probably what you should be looking at. Not eating too much of of this of carbohydrates, but then I don't think you should go to the extreme of deleting it completely from your diet altogether. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and I think that people have used have used scientific evidence to try and and almost wage war on on carbohydrates you know i don't think that's uh that's hyperbole in this situation but what i would always go back to is a fantastic researcher louise burke at the australian institute of sport and a study that she did on race walkers and there was to take it back a little bit the the premise of people doing fasted cardio workouts is the idea that we're going to burn more fat. So I don't put any carbs in, I'm going to burn more fat and I'll become fat adapted. And that sounds fantastic because fat as you know, we've got a lot of potentially adipose tissue on our body that can be a great fuel store. Mm -hmm. The, the issue with that is that our body uses glycogen. It, fuels our brain it fuels our muscles glycogen is the preferred energy source for exercise and to fuel our body so louise burke did a great study on race walkers and you know for those of you who don't know what a race walker is out there if you've ever watched the olympics they're the guys that look like they're walking really funny but um actually are walking faster than you can run it's it's terrifying their foot always has to be in contact with the ground so they can't ever jump and so they develop this great style of um of walking and fast walking and it is very fast walking but in theory you know walking is a, a lower intensity exercise it's not running it's not as fast as marathon running so they would really benefit and endurance athletes would really benefit from becoming fat adapted Unfortunately, what happens is we require much more oxygen to release energy from fat. So we tend to lose, and this was demonstrated by Louise, but she's actually subsequently demonstrated it again this year in a, in a follow-up study. We lose our top gear. It's We get great at the moderate intensity work, yeah. but we lose the ability to to turn it on at the end. If you think about Mo Farah's kick, what would Mo Farah be as a track athlete if he couldn't sit patiently behind everyone for the first 11 laps and then turn it on for the last one and a half laps? You need to be able to have access to all of your gears and your full range and that was something that they found athletes that were on low carb, high fat diets lost. So it's that metabolic flexibility 
and that ability to turn over to using glycogen and using carbohydrates as a preferred store. And absolutely, carbs get a bad rep because it's easy to over consume them. But what we tend to do is find them paired with fats in hyperpalatable food like donuts, like biscuits. So it's not the carbohydrate that is bad for you. It's the way it's packaged and your consumption of it. it. And there's a great study. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it's just a, a good kind of a good anecdote is if I ask you to eat a bowl of rice with nothing else on it, there would come a point where you could not eat any more rice. If I came along and I put sweet chili sauce on that same bowl of rice, when you said you were done, you would be able to eat more because it's, it's a new food. It's not boring anymore. Mm -hmm. And what manufacturers do is they create hyper palatable food and we're seeing the government, um, go after these high fat yeah these high fat um salt hfss high fat salt sugar uh foods and saying right well you shouldn't be marketing this because it's easy for me to go into a shop and eat twixes because they're great you know and in theory that's why i would overeat a twix because it's got fat sugar It's it's got everything in it and it becomes it's hyper palatable it's interesting to me and it never gets boring people don't get bored of sweet food do they or very rarely you know what it's like you go out for dinner and you meet someone yeah. and they say I, I don't really do desserts and you say everyone looks around like what do you mean you don't do desserts like shock who? yeah shock <laughs> yeah who are you that, that makes sense because now you mentioned it now i'm thinking about it because some they smuggle I think in, if, you get, if I get it right, carbs get the bad rep because it's kind of being smuggled with other things. And I'm thinking about it when you see biscuits, it has carbohydrates, but it has a lot of sugar as well. It has a lot of fats and other things as well. So then there's this uh, general preconception amongst everybody that it's only the carbs that are the bad things. Like, oh yeah, it's because you have nothing has carbs in it. And I think that rice and sweet chili was a very good one because you won't just, after a while you get bored of the plain thing, but when you start mixing other things, that have other stuff into it, fat, sugar, salt, and X, Y, and Z. That's actually more of the culprits in a sense than just the rice. And that's why, yeah, I think I think the initiative to start cracking down on some of these things because it, when they market, I won't get into a rant. I can get into a rant about how the food industry markets <laughs> different things and how all these all all what we know is not. But I won't get into that too much detail now. But I think that makes a lot of sense. And if we're talking about uh, eating. Do you find, do you think that uh, eating different types of, so let's say if someone is, you know, for an example, an endurance runner or uh, what's it called? A more strength-based, maybe sprinter, short distance runner, or even maybe a strength-based power, power exercise person. I know their nutrition plan should change, if I'm correct. Uh, and how much would it change? I know it's depending on your body, what you need, but you find that is is a change signif- as significant as we think or is it um i would for the most part i would say makeup of diet wouldn't change a huge amount mm. um in terms of yes you still need to get in an adequate amount of fat which is often 
demonized as well. Fat is often demonized. You still need to make sure you're getting a good amount of protein in for both both endurance athletes um, and sprinters or power sport athletes. The government guidelines are way down at 0.8 grams uh, protein per kilogram of body weight. And that's not a lot. We, I, I would put people on anything from 1.2, 1.4, all the way up to 2, 2.2, so that they're getting an adequate amount of protein and they're getting regular hits of protein across the day to, you know, we associate protein with muscle building, but protein should also be associated with repair and with yeah. cellular regeneration. Yeah. And it supports your health. I'd say the big difference between an endurance athlete and someone who's working on middle distance or a power sport is probably going to be their carbohydrate intake. And that's basically because they are burning many more calories. And we know that we want to do our best to restore our glycogen stores in our muscles. And endurance athletes need plenty of glycogen stored in their muscles because that's what they're going to call on when they're doing their long runs at all intensities and part of endurance training allows us to become more efficient at generating energy from our muscles you know more mitochondrial biogenesis and a greater mitochondrial density in the muscle but also a, a greater ability to tap into the free fatty acids in our blood and the glycogen that's stored in our muscle and stored in our liver. And it's, it's a case of matching the demands of the sport to just like you would with strength conditioning. Yeah. You've got to match the demands of the sport when it comes to nutrition and find a way to educate an athlete to understand that what's good for them, again, is, is maybe not good for someone that isn't doing their sport and doesn't have the same training demands as yeah. them we we kind of got something that we often don't touch on um but that's athlete weight and it's if you're in a weight making sport it throws another dimension into what you're doing and runners don't don't tend to be in that but power athletes particularly might find themselves in a weight making sport and so they would have that consideration and how do they meet their energy demands? And it gives me a, a kind of great little leap over to something that I think everyone should be, have their attention drawn to. And that is um, energy availability because you might've seen this on the rise in in the press recently we've seen a lot of uh, female athletes coming out and saying that they were forced to look a certain way or they were restricted or their coaches governing bodies mm. drove them to be a certain way and told them they were you know perhaps told them they were fat told them that they needed to lose weight and there's a big area of study going on right now into something called REDS, which is relative energy deficiency in sport. And if you don't have enough energy available, so that's not about being in a calorie deficit, you can still be in a calorie deficit, but 
people are in these very, very low calorie deficits. They're unable to maintain their basic metabolic processes. Uh, so you see that men and women start to, it starts to impact on their bone health. Women start to lose their periods. And amongst that, when you look at, at men as well, it can be irritability, it can be poor response to training. So as we sort of start to roll out all of the potential signs of this, people go, hang on, you know, that's okay. that's me. Maybe I'm running myself too low because I've got an ideal that an endurance athlete looks like a Kenyan. <laughs> and and they don't take into account that, you know, uh, an Elia Kipchoge at 51 kilograms or however much he weighs, but I think One it's, kilogram. I think it, I think he's, he's like mid fifties. He's very lightweight. He's built for running. Yeah. And, and your friend who works a nine to five or your client who works a nine to five isn't training and sleeping and training and all yeah. day. Yeah. And we, we've seen it in, in other sports before, you know, I want to look like this, but it happens and it happens to men and women that they then restrict themselves to such a point that they start to do some serious damage to their health. Yeah. And so it's, um, there's a great study actually, and I'm going to have to drag it up because I, uh, I was reading it earlier. Oh, don't worry. We'll, I'll put it in the link. It was, um, it was looking at the prevalence of, of fasted workouts in the morning and energy restriction in the morning. And a lot of people will go out habitually because they believe that it will help them lose weight. And we've touched on it a little bit. But the flip of that is many people look at it and say, you know what, I'd rather be in bed for an extra hour than get up. And like me, for example, I might go out and run without breakfast because I know that I need sleep and sleep is as important to my health as, yeah. as getting up and eating something before a workout. And if I'm going out for an easy run, I can have a gel on the way or I can have some fuel on the way. And getting in my eight hours sleep is much more beneficial to my overall health and recovery than waking up early so that I can have some porridge before I go on a 10K run. Prioritization. Exactly. And I think people, we, we miss that sometimes. You know, we're so busy looking, uh, looking at the minute details that we miss the bigger picture here. I think, I think when you spoke about uh, the differences of like when you look at an athlete and you think oh i want to get there sometimes you need to i think tapering your expectation is that you don't have that same lifestyle as someone who is an athlete like if you're looking at i, I played i played basketball i played it for union i played um what's it called played like another, with another team but i know i know the truth that to look at an nba player to have to, to get where they are they, they their job is to play basketball, you know what I mean? Their job is that sport. And so their food, their lifestyle is, as you said, sleep, train, sleep, train. Their job is training. Like, but now I realize you, my job now is not to train. So you have to find, in a sense, taper that realized expectations to a more to yourself and say, what is realistic? Uh, there's no, I have no, I have no opposition to what's it called, uh, shooting 
for to for dreaming. I think you need dreams, you need you need aspirations, but also put in the back of your head that it shouldn't just because you're pursuing something, it shouldn't start doing physical, mental, emotional harm to yourself, like cutting out. You say you want to, as you said, you want to cut down to this weight because you want you think that <laughs> the stereotypical uh, Kenyan super runner, so you start losing significant amount of weight, and that's actually not going to be able to. It's not you're not optimized to still go and do your day-to-day work, which is not uh, super marathon sprinting. I think there are there's yeah. levels to get there, but it's all a trade-off, if you get what I mean. It's all one has this give and take, but within your own realm possibility. Absolutely. And I think that when we when we look at food, you know, we touched on it uh, when we were chatting before, everybody eats a different way because food is it's social, it's cultural, it's socioeconomic, yeah. and and so is health. And you know, kind of stepping back from just nutrition, the idea that you would be the person that goes around to your friends for dinner, but you can't eat what they're eating because you've got your food in the Tupperware box, or you say no to meals out because you can't control your calorie intake in those environments because you don't know because it's not written on the menu. And I know that the government are going to start to change that or try to now, but the idea that you would restrict yourself from social opportunities and from buoying your health and your general health, because you have to say no to things because you deem control of your food as more important is something that, is prevalent all over the country and in men and women and across sports as well not just you know we think of our traditional gym head who uh puts up a picture of sweet potato broccoli and grilled chicken in (laughs) 50 tupperware containers every sunday night religiously um but, but there's there's so much that people miss out on because they think that they have to do one thing to try and hit an ideal and the idea of being able to be flexible with your food is such an empowering one and I think it plays in to confidence in the kitchen so I used to be a chef and and I come from a family where cooking is very important my great-grandma was a fantastic cook my mother is a fantastic cook and I remember going to university and my housemates in halls couldn't cook. And cooking was just a very normal thing to me. And it's always been very important. I think cooking confidence means that you can go to a fridge and say, I don't know, I don't have a recipe to follow, but I know that I like these things and I can put them together. And cooking confidence is following a recipe card and then realizing you missed one step and it's i didn't put the basil in before the tomatoes and all of a sudden there, there are people out there that would say god i've ruined the meal i need to start again but actually you haven't and having the confidence to go out there and, and make mistakes with the way you prepare your food or you put ingredients together and you put your flavors together it's not thinking about undercooking food make sure your food is cooked but be, don't be afraid to make mistakes when it comes to putting flavors together and finding out what you like 
and it it plays in really well to the like the kind of key tenant that i put with all of my nutrition clients and that's really try and eat a rainbow of food a rainbow i like that like eat the rainbow colors because eating different colors is going to give you variety and there's a fantastic book on gut health by dr megan rossi and obviously i can't remember the name of it right now but she suggests the idea of 30 different types of vegetables fruit and veg every week and that for me is going into the green grocers and going i don't know what that is but i'm going to try it and she very much focuses on uh, the gut microbiome and microbiome for health and immunity really interesting area and again a sort of fledgling area of research but we know that our gut microbiome likes variety yeah it wants to have a lot of different things and so the idea of someone saying this is my meal these are my chicken broccoli sweet potato for the week it's it's upsetting because you're restricting yourself of of so much and you're really taking the joy out of food and food i I wrote down this note because it's a fantastic one from hannah grant who's a tour de france chef and she said i'm paraphrasing a little she said food doesn't have to just nourish these athletes it has to be morale boosting it has to make you want to go out and do something the next day and and that is it when you're talking about athletes what do i want to do the next day do i want to get up and train not if i've come home and had a really uninspiring meal or i know i'm going to get up and i'm going to eat bland food healthy doesn't have to be flavorless and i think there's a there's a it's, it's a really strange world that we live in where people associate you know grilling grilling meat and steaming veg and avoiding everything everything else you just everything else it's bang. you know that's what i do and that's what i do and i and it's repeatable absolutely but don't rob yourself of of all the other joys and all the other health benefits of food that are out there yeah i think uh the rental time says if you uh, i think probably the week before i'll do an episode i did an episode so i i talked with a guy his name is uh Mauro. he he's a vegan uh, one thing that's important to know is that I myself, I eat uh, plant-based, but that's primarily because I felt one of the reasons I went plant-based was I felt that I wasn't eating a diverse type of food. I wasn't eating the different fruits and vegetables that I wanted to eat. And I just said, let me know, let me try this and see how many different types. And the, the, the rainbow is one. The rainbow one is a very good point. I try and follow that. So since turning, since starting to eat more plant-based, I'm not 100%, uh, things point to know, but I still eat once in a while, but mainly most of my things have. And it, the main reason was those colors, because I realized that there are so many fruits, there's so many vegetables, there's so many things that you we have you just excluded because of one certain way of eating. As in you said, it, the, the standard gym gr- grilled chicken that has no flavor with brown, maybe brown or white rice and some steamed broccoli and maybe some carrots. That's the image you always have whenever someone talks about old gym food or workout food or you think athletes are eating. And you really realize that that's not what some people are eating. As you're right, it's just not it's not just for nourishment. It's supposed to be motivating. I think food is very some people it's almost like spiritual food and soul food because you can make you can make food have you can make workout food or food for uh, with high protein and still make it taste nice. It doesn't have to taste bland. You don't have to eliminate complete seasoning though you don't have to completely eliminate uh, different fruits and vegetables and and some, i think one thing i realized was when i started experimenting with 
different vegetables, different fruits, I realized that sometimes you don't even need as much seasoning because some fruits, some vegetables are actually quite, they taste quite nice and they have strong, uh, strong, what's it called, strong flavors that they will really make up for a lot of the other things. And I think one thing I always try to hit home is whenever I'm telling people when I try and eat something is if I look at the ingredients of maybe a pack of food or something, or I don't know if you get what I mean. Can I read most of those ingredients? Can I read, can I, do I know what they mean? Are they natural foods? And because I think if we go back to what we said before, you can find different, when you start looking at a, a back of maybe a fruit or piece of uh, packaging and you, and you cannot, you don't understand, you don't know what the ingredients are. You're seeing different colors and different, different things. You're just like, these don't seem natural. I think that's, I try and avoid that personally because I want to know that I'm eating is real food and experimenting with different fruits and vegetables, as I said before, is a really good way to get there. And then you start realizing, what is this? Courgettes? I didn't even know this could taste like this aubergine. And you're like, this is this has always been there. And you're just, and you're, and you're shook. And then you start incorporating those different varieties because I think if you go, if we start talking about nutrients a bit, I think different fruits have different levels of, well, some have more vitamin A, some have vitamin C, some have this and that. And if you only eat one, you're kind of excluding from one side. But if you start looking at eating, them a lot of different things you're going to get that balanced diet and i think you will start seeing different changes in your if you're able to lose weight gain weight whatever it is you start to see those changes the more you start diversifying and eating different types of food that really goes a long way it hits home i think that's one thing i strongly agree and this is not me saying just because i think i don't i don't push heavily and say everyone needs to eat because i'm plant-based or everyone needs to eat plant-based i say i just think you need to eat Try and eat a healthier food and avoid, you know, the generic high, high fat, high sodium, high salt foods. Just try and stay away from that. No one can ever come and tell me and say, oh, yeah, I think it's good to be eating McDonald's three times a day. That's not a good diet. Uh, I don't, I, I, I would I'd be hard pressed if someone told me that, well, no, 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 there's a way you can eat McDonald's three times a day and still get, I'm like, that's very, very tough for me to believe you if you say that. But if you're cooking your own food and if you're experimenting with these different types of food and you're eating a bit of a more naturalist um, approach, you start to see the wonders and the differences that your body starts to make and your body starts noticing it. Now, I'm not going to get into detail with skin and all that because that's not my ballpark too much, like skin and gut health. And uh, one last thing was the gut health one. Oh, yeah, back to what I was saying. The Maro, he does kimchi. And I was wondering, I was like, what's, what's kimchi? And he said, it's just fermented cabbage and it's very it's good for your gut health. And I was like, probiotics and all that type of thing and how good it is for your stomach. And your stomach wants you to eat these different things. And I think good gut health is a very, goes a long way in your digestive system, if I'm correct. It's something that, that is a really emerging area of research. Um, probably for me as an endurance runner and a coach and nutritionist, I've been most interested in a recent study that suggests that people that have a slight iron deficiency would find an iron's notoriously difficult for us to absorb. Yeah. You know, milk can, can stop us absorbing it as well. Coffee can stop us absorbing it as well, but mm. vitamin C can boost it. And we tend to, if we're taking a tablet, that can be a little bit harsh on our stomach. Uh, and so people with a mild iron deficiency that were taking iron supplements with a probiotic saw faster results and better absorption of that iron. So it's, uh, it's quite interesting. There's a lot that we're now looking into in terms of can we improve gut health to look at immunity? 
and certainly the overlooked um the overlooked area is that we need fiber in our diet to to feed our gut and it's those insoluble fibers that make it through that feed those bacteria so if someone is eating a a very processed diet they we tend to find that most of the fiber has been removed from that and and you're right i'd be hard pressed to tell anyone that they they would do well on three mcdonald's a day but i think there are there is still there's room for flexibility in someone's yeah. diet and the sort of the classic 80/20 rule works quite well for people yeah it says um there is a very or there was a very interesting guy uh, he called himself the muck runner and he only ate from mcdonald's for 30 days before the la marathon and he ran a 236 marathon Two hours thirty-six. He wow. set a PB, and and he was only allowed that and to take a multivitamin. And so, you know, this guy's running a hundred miles a week, and I'm sure his performance would have been better on a more balanced, well-rounded diet. But people love to push the extremes, and I think that if we could all just pull back a little bit from the extremes and saying that that food. food doesn't have in in my eyes and the way I'd love people to to understand is that food doesn't have a moralistic value there isn't a good or a bad food out there there's just food and what do you want to get out of your food and that then should start to dictate your decisions yeah. but it's not um it's not that this is uh you know weight watchers use the sins category and it's like this food is a sin this food isn't i mean talk about religious dogma you can go it's it's tough for someone to then turn back on that if you're you're implying that there's a big moral judgment over you on on the foods you choose and you know i i kind of caveat what i said about people that meal prep i have the utmost respect for people that are that dedicated to what they eat but i think that the bland and boring way of doing it is potentially damaging their long-term health and if we look outside of looking great to go on holiday or looking great on instagram or building muscle <laughs> or prepping for a show if we look outside of that what we're we talking about in terms of long-term health and nutrition can really support your long-term health as you get yeah. older and building in those good habits of experimenting in the kitchen i love it i love that you know you're plant based and and i guess i would still say that i'm mostly plant based these days but the big change for me and and i was strict vegan for 4 years was that now meat isn't the star of the show yeah and we can all be a little bit lazy and we can go god this 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 meat here yeah. I'm just going to put some veg next to it because the meat is what I'm eating. And now I sort of look at it and I go, I just need a little bit, you know, I've, I'll have a little bit of fish, but I'll have like you say I'll have four different types of veg and I go great like and I can steam this and I can roast this and you can get creative with things and get a lot of flavors in there and the meat just becomes a lovely flavor, but it's not the star of the plate yeah. and it's not the I've seen some very beige meals of you know chicken and white potatoes 
you know, not inherently bad, but just looks very bland and boring, doesn't it? And then you sort of go, hey, guys, did you know you can get a purple carrot? You try one. <laughs> like, I, I love stuff like that. I love going to, to the greengrocer. I'm a bit of a greengrocer weirdo going, right, <laughs> what have you got in? What have I never seen before? Because let me get my hands on it and I don't know, I'll quickly figure out what I'm going to do with it later. But I think it's a really, it's a lovely way to think about food that that the rainbow is out there and and you've got a long time to go out there and explore for yourself and and getting things wrong isn't a huge issue it just means that you've uh, it means that you're one step closer to getting things right yeah fully making experimenting and i think that's it's a good way to like like wrap up and uh, you know after everything we said a good amount and that was a, that was a good one with portions i think that's portion portion control is a very important one and that was one thing i realized cuz i come from a nigerian household and it's very african is a lot of very meat heavy if you know what i mean meat is always a star like you can't have a complete meal without a piece of meat on the plate like people look at you when i run from me think even still till till today whenever i go somewhere and i say yeah i'm, I'm alright i don't want i don't want chicken i don't want beef on this on this plate they're like they look at me like i'm they're confused like how how can you know i'm just like i don't really feel like it maybe i'll eat it some other time but i don't feel like it now and it's it doesn't have to be the star of the show it doesn't have to be the, the main thing it can be a side it can be a side note but it doesn't have to be the main thing and then everything else dances around it in little little portions and i think that's one thing that things that is a study showing is that just your, your way you portion things and the way you eat and say you know what i can make room for more vegetables get more get some more fibers in and i think the one one good tip i'll give is um for people and even correctly or agree or disagree with this is finding little ways to smuggle those extra stuff in like seeds. I think one thing I tried to start smuggling into my meals was uh, like breakfast now from eating uh, cereal. Maybe it's a uh, muesli, uh, like muesli, muesli? I don't know how to say it. But it's pouring some seeds on it, like a mix of sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds and all these other things. And just little, and little powders of uh, what's it called? Natural greens, just to try and add, smuggle them into my meals. I think those have actually done quite a bit because I feel like it's that they actually overall, as, you, as we said earlier, those little, little step, things, they start building up. If you do that over the course of the day, it really builds up into one section of its own. And that's how you get those complete balanced diets, if you get what I mean, in a quote-unquote balanced diet. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think for me, shakes are a really good way of doing that. If you don't fancy... I, I remember people going, God, you put broccoli in a chocolate protein shake. But actually, it, it worked. Broccoli and some frozen spinach can work really well as a way of getting some greens in. And you don't taste it because you're drinking yeah. a chocolate shake with some chocolate berries in it. And, and so sneaking veg into your diet there can be a really uh, a nice way of doing it. Um, and also talking about portion control. Family or, or work events can be a real a real struggle. And certainly where food is is something to be celebrated or is something that you know traditionally there's a generational divide here where people like my parents generation meat would have been a once a week thing you know on a sunday we're going to have some meat and so there's a an almost like an obligation to finish what's on your plate yeah and i think that's played into now we're surrounded by food and we don't have this this uh necessarily lack of resource around us but 
we can have these these cultural expectations and as well as portion control fostering the idea of eating to fullness is a really useful skill and saying i'm full or i'm 80 percent full and you know if i'm trying to lose weight then i'm 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 almost full and i'm not stuffed and i'm not going to go away and feel like i've overeaten i'm going to eat to my own fullness and it's these are all skills and they're they're soft skills you know it's not measurable it's a feeling but it's something that people can action and experiment with quite easily and realistically if if the government are pushing on with this idea of of tackling obesity then education around this is going to be paramount education around food and diet and accurate education not just blanketly banning food groups or creating divides in communities because we you know one one person's low carb one person's vegan one person's uh keto paleo yeah. we don't need that overcomplication and those camps that will set their stalls out and say that we're the ones to solve this problem what we actually need is for people to come together and find the similarities all of them work by having a calorie deficit for example the the ideal one that's how that's your big similarity yeah. and lots of them you know vegan paleo really similar foods you know it's just the exclusion of meat products but we're really great you know at, at focusing on the differences and and setting out a camp in one side and giving people these tools to say i'm i'm full or i'm almost full and i'm okay i don't want any more is is a really powerful thing because exercise alone won't do what the government wants you know you, you can exercise till the cows come home but actually you're going to have to address the way that people eat and exercise and going back to that neat move around in their day-to-day which is why it's great to see people trying to get on the bike avoiding public transport walking more because those are the those are the little steps they're the lifestyle changes and when we that's talk about it, lifestyle it. that's it that's what, that's what that's what I was going. So I was going. I was going with the lifestyle changes. All those things are lifestyle, and no, that's great. And uh, I think I really appreciate you uh, coming on, Justin. And you really, you really hit the nail on the head with a lot of these things about food. It's not one pragmatic. It's a pragmatic. I'm using that word the right way, but one not dogmatic. Yeah, one dogmatic uh, approach to it and say this is it and don't do anything else. But it's saying. Uh, these are all the options. These are these are all the good things. But knowing, just knowing, and information is very key. So I'll let you, if you want to recap anything, or just want to give us any closing uh, remarks, if you go, I mean, or closing tips. I'll let you go ahead now. Closing tips. Um, <laughs> I think I think the big one is is don't be afraid to experiment with food and with with diets. Don't be controlled by belonging to a diet camp. Don't be controlled in your identity by saying I'm this or I'm that. Be your own person out there and eat the rainbow. Get your protein in and eat the rainbow is is the kind of the big takeaway. So, you know, pick up that veg you've never seen before and uh, and go mm-hmm. home and Google image search it because you still don't really know what it's called and then uh, figure out a way to cook it. 
you've got a fantastic resource at your fingertips and there's always someone you know if in doubt there's always someone on YouTube that wants to show you how to cook that. Probably, so. yeah. <laughs> if that goes to YouTube, I figure someone there's, always, there's a video for everything on YouTube, and there's something on everything Google. Even if you think, oh, you know what, no one has done it, someone has done it. 100%. Yeah, this is too obscure. Honestly, it isn't. <laughs> it's on there. No worries. All right, thanks a lot, Justin. Uh, we'll close it there, and hopefully we'll see you back on the show sometime when you're as uh, at a later stage. I'm probably definitely sure I have more things to ask you again. But thanks. Thank again you so much on. for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk. No worries, Justin. If you enjoyed this episode of the Excel Podcast, make sure to subscribe so you know when we drop our next episode. And leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Also, if you have any questions about any of the things we discuss in these episodes or have a future episode recommendation, something you want us to talk about, feel free to send me a message at Rook's Health on all social media platforms. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can just leave a comment and I will look at them. So till next week on the Rook's Health Podcast. Mm-hmm.